everybody and welcome to the never heard of it podcast i'm sean harwell and this is episode 46 and we've got a very special guest today but of course i'd be remiss if i didn't talk about my co my co coat hanger <laughs> i don't even know what to call you anymore just tell the people who you are yeah this is uh craig moorhead i'm here every time Always. You're so dependable that way. Mm. And um, it's nice to have you. Today, we we're going to talk, as we always do in our full episodes, about a single movie. And then if you want to come back and uh, revisit this podcast next week, we'll be talking about news. We do little mini episodes. There's usually a little shorter. And, you know, we try to talk about some stuff that popped up in the industry that maybe, you know, not everybody will catch. So come do that. If you want to check us out online, we are neverheardpodcast.com. We're on Twitter, we're on YouTube, Facebook etc. Always happy to have you come say hello and make suggestions, which is always nice. Mm. I think without further ado, then let's welcome our guest to the show and very excited to have with us today a filmmaker and a podcast host of her own right. Um, she hosts the Introductions Necessary podcast, and her name is Mary Ratliff. Mary, welcome to thank you for having me. Our ridiculous podcast. Thank you for coming, and we should say <laughs> thank you again for making the suggestion that you made. We've talked about Mary before on another episode where we watched the Charlie mm -hmm. Chaplin film uh, Monsieur Verdoux which I, again, can never pronounce. <laughs> I'm just, I'm good at giving you things you can't pronounce. I know, I appreciate it. Yeah, today's going to be skill. even worse. But uh, <laughs> at least the title is in English. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's great to have you. And for those of you who don't know, you know, Mary has done some documentaries. We'll talk about that in a second. And then you got to go listen to Introductions Necessary. So why don't you just start right up front by telling people what's the best way to do that? Where can they find this awesome podcast where are you in season one? did a daily podcast, which I got to ask you yes. about in a second, because that's insane, <laughs> about women in the STEM field, which was mm -hmm. fantastic and recommended to me by my wife. And then season two, you've done women above the line in the film and TV industry. And, you know, I know I listened to the great episode with Amy Heckerling, one of my favorite, where you talk about her, and then you did uh, Ava DuVernay, and you've done Carrie Fisher. And that definitely would be of interest to our listeners. So by all means they got to go find this podcast. Well, we have a website that sort of compiles everything. It's uh, introductionsnecessary.com. And then, but we are also on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Like we have an RSS feed. So if you just search Introductions Necessary, you will probably find us. But yeah, introductionsnecessary.com is probably the best place to get it all in one place. And no pressure, but if, you're, if you haven't listened yet, there's only like 400 some episodes for you to get caught up on, right? <laughs> I think it's 370. Yeah. Oh, yeah. really? Okay. So, yeah. so, you, so you didn't do every single day, right? Uh, well, no, we did for a year. Okay. Um, for so that's 365. Oh Right. And then season two is, we've done five, and then we're kind of in a hiatus right now. Because season one kind of was insane. Yes. <laughs> well, let's talk, I mean, a little bit about that, because I am dying to know. I want to say they were like three to five minute long. Uh, yeah, it was two minutes and I think 38 seconds, which was just sort of determined by that was the length of the music track. Gotcha. Okay. <laughs> I mean, we were planning two minutes. That was kind of our sweet spot. And then right. when we found the composer and the music, it happened to be 238. So we stuck with that. And so did you knock out a bunch? 
like on one day and then you would take like a week off and then do a bunch more? How did you do that? How did you manage that? That was totally the plan. That was actually like when I came up with the idea for this podcast, I thought to myself, like I had been listening to a daily podcast that was like a short like science podcast called Stardate. Uh-huh. And I was like, you know, that's probably so great because she can just record like an entire month like in one go. And then she only has to work like one day a month or something. And so that's what I thought. I was like, we're going to get like a month at a time and just sit down and do it and like really work. And no, no, that is not at all how it worked out. (laughs) Whenever I had something where I knew I was going to be gone, like if I was going to be taking a vacation or a trip or something um, and like right around Christmas, I would like really nose to the grindstone, get ahead. Um, But there were more than one occasion. We tried to post it at 8 a.m. every day and more than once I was clicking the export button at 755 <laughs> I, we definitely sympathize yeah. and uh, that's really extremely admirable <laughs> and well i did have help i mean i have okay. to i have to Still. give like a huge amount of credit to um my co-writers so a massive number of the scripts were actually written uh by my sister actually she's a high school chemistry and physics teacher so this is like her area of expertise um and then also my cousin uh helped uh Dr. Nicole Hutchinson, she wrote uh, quite a few of them as well. So, and I had a webmaster helping me get them posted. There was a, like, it was a team of four people to get it done. Uh, It never would have happened without everybody chipping in. But it was still, you know, I did have to actually, like, I was the host, so I had to actually, like, read the script, um, figure out how to say all of the, I mean, talking about having trouble pronouncing things, like, oh my gosh, some of the stuff. I'm sure. Especially, like, those just technical terms and a whole bunch of, like, because we wanted it to be very international. We didn't want to focus just on American scientists. Um, French is my nemesis. Anything in French. And it was funny because I swore when we started the second season, I was like, you know what, my one rule is no French. Like, I'm just, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. I can't do it. And then the second episode i think it was ended up with french in it and i wrote that one so i had nobody to blame but myself nobody to blame (laughs) um that's crazy i think uh the takeaway craig is that we need a team of people yeah i mean (laughs) sure yeah if we had script writers for this man oh my god if we had a script i mean even (laughs) if we just if we just wrote it ourselves that would be i could stop yeah you know pre-production it's a it's handy. Yeah, I guess so. I guess so. Yeah. I don't even like to outline scripts. So this is, yeah, I mean, my own scripts. Like it's been. Well, let's talk a bit about, obviously, you transitioned um, in the second season of Talking About Film. And mm-hmm. clearly, you know, I, I, we know now. Like, I should say, like, you, I think, are our first guest who we really don't know um, in any other real capacity. We always like to know how, kind of how you got into this. And we've watched a short film of yours called Catching Up. And, you know, we'd love to hear about sort of you know, when that happened in your life and kind of how that came about. And then we'll, we'll talk a little bit about your, your documentary feature. What's your background as far as like your relationship with movies and, and TV and all <laughs> that fun stuff that we talk about on this silly podcast? It's very long, uh, basically my entire life. Like we had this great old school theater in my hometown and my mom loves movies. So we would go to the theater all the time. You know, my, my earliest memory is literally sitting in the theater watching E.T. I just sort of was in love with it for, for years and years and years. And I was kind of obsessively would take in like whatever information I could get. But it was in high school I want to say maybe junior or senior year, I was doing that whole thing where you're like, oh, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go to school and all that? Uh And I happened to be for fun reading this book that was a biography of George Lucas. It was an unauthorized biography. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, go ahead, Craig. Was that by any chance written by by Dale Pollock? 
Yes, it's called Skywalking. Yes, that's our former dean of film school yeah. was Dale. Oh, Pilot. really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Yes, so we, we actually still have a school okay. uh, yeah, connection in this podcast. Whoa. That's crazy. That... I'd always have to. Yeah, I was feeling untethered <laughs> there for a second. Okay. No, but go ahead. Yeah. So what did you so... what did you think of his book? He's not listening to this, I promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it actually I was reading it and it was uh, the edition that I was reading at the time. He, I think he's revised it since then, but the edition I was reading then was written in between uh, Empire and Jedi. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, it was getting into why Lucas wasn't directing the two sequels. And it was just really interesting because it was very honest about like why what Lucas's faults were as a director, mm-hmm. which, you know, I wish that he had reread that George, sure, that George yes. Lucas had reread that before he wrote, did the prequels. But yeah. <laughs> anyway, it was talking a little bit about like, you know, what he had trouble with as a director. And I just had this like revelation moment of like those things that he was saying he hated doing. And that's why he hated directing were things that I loved. And I was like, you know, all these descriptions of being on set sounded like where I just wanted to be. And so I just had mm-hmm. that like literal sit up in bed light bulb moment. And I went out into the living room and I told my parents, I was like, I think I kind of want to go to film school. And I want to become a filmmaker. And my parents, like, bless them, they just said, okay, well, where do you go to school for that? So yeah, great. They didn't ground <laughs> you. That's good. Yeah. So I, you know, had the dreams of the NYU and, and USC kind of stuff. But, you know, that's not always feasible dreams for mm-hmm. various reasons. Um, but there was a school that was not that far from me called Hollins University that mm-hmm. my sister actually was going to school there. My sister's four years older than me. So I started high school the year she started college. And um, I kind of fell in love with the school visiting her there. And then Uh they happened to be starting a film program right around when I would be going to college. So I ended up going to Hollins University for undergrad, studying film. Hollins is a small liberal arts women's college. So Uh it was a a very different film program than I think a lot of other people would have experienced, which I didn't realize until I took about six years off in between, and then I went to grad school at American University um, to get my MFA in film. Uh And that was much more traditional, I think, much more what people are used to film school being like, but huge culture shock for me. So, um, But yeah, so I I tell people, like, you know, I didn't learn my lesson the first time, and I went back to film school to get a second degree, so. (laughs) Well, what was the focus then at at Hollins? Was it a little more... Was it more theory or, or criticism or just study as opposed to practice? Or where, where was the uh, kind of focus, I guess? Yeah, it was a lot more on theory. Hollins as a school is very focused on writing. Um, they're well known for their creative writing program. It, they were trying to get a little bit more into the practice of things. They were, it, they were learning, like growing pains with the program because it was so new when I started. Um, they're much better at that now. They've actually got a excellent program um even with production end of things we can definitely relate we were the third <laughs> class ever in the film program where we oh went yeah we spent an entire semester editing a short film that was part of another class project and then they were trying to expand the hard drive space because we had run out of hard drive space even for like the crappy resolution version and they <laughs> yeah. accidentally deleted the entire project oh no, so, no. So, yeah, I learned a lot of hard lessons uh, very <laughs> yeah, early on. But, yeah, and it, Hollins was great for a lot of things, though. I mean, one of the things, because it was a women's college, we definitely got exposed to a lot of uh, different filmmakers than we would have. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that the professors, especially uh, one particular professor, Klaus Phillips, he was very big on showing us stuff that, like, would probably end up on your podcast. He didn't like sort of giving you the same syllabus that everybody else was teaching. Yeah. The very first day of my very first film class, we watched uh, Kiss Me Deadly. Oh, wow. So, and then we moved on to, like, 
Oh, what was it? Like Blood Simple, maybe? Yeah, we watched Monsieur Verdoux in one of his classes and the Vincent Price movie, The Conqueror Worm. Don't know it. <laughs> it's also been billed as a Witchfinder General. Yeah. Okay, I've heard yeah, of that, yeah. yes. But yeah, so we would just watch like the weirdest stuff in, in classes, and that was that was really great. I now have fond memories of that education. <laughs> Craig, yeah. do you ever wish that you had had more theory at film school? Because I kind of I kind of do. Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, it's, you know? I would say that, and I wish I had just gone and watched more of the free movies that we could watch. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, for sure. The theory background, I feel, is is really vital to the creative side of just like, okay, you're going to make this thing, but why? Like, what's the point of yeah. it? Yeah. You know, what are you, Where does it like, fit? What are you trying to say? And yeah. like, I don't feel like that was really drilled into my head. I am curious, so were you making films yourself? I know you said you were editing one um, yeah. at, at, You know, for this one class. Were you making shorts while you were in uh, undergrad? And I'm assuming you probably did in grad mm-hmm. as well. So you were directing at this point? Yeah, um, I did a few shorts in undergrad. I've sort of scrubbed all, exi- all knowledge of their existence from the internet at this point. Oh, I understand. <laughs> but yeah, I did. Um, that was actually, I did my first, it was technically feature length uh, documentary then because it was like 46 minutes. But that was my my senior honors thesis there was a a documentary about cosplay and Mm -hmm. anime costumers. Yeah, I did a few shorts. I'm trying to remember how many. Three or four. It was, you know, mostly shot on little camcorders. And my first production class, we were actually editing on linear, like, tape-to-tape VTRs. Yeah, wow. The old school stuff. Uh, You know, if you wanted to add a subtitle, it was like 20 minutes of pounding it into this keyboard thing. (laughs) And I I definitely get one of those These Kids Today vibes sometimes. So, Oh, yeah. You could do that on an iPad in like five minutes now. It's it's nuts. It's crazy. Oh, man. Did you go into film school as a fan of documentary or is that something that developed at that time? Because obviously, you know, if you're reading about George Lucas, that's not necessarily a straight line to making a documentary. Where did that sort of like interest develop? Um, a little bit of that was actually just a, a really good teacher. Mm-hmm. We had an artist in residence come in, and her name has just left my head. Um, That's okay. But she came in and taught a class on documentary, which I took because, you know, it's a great opportunity to learn something from an artist in residence. I just really enjoyed the class. I really enjoyed the stuff that we watched in the class. And it, there's also a lot to be said about the cheaper budget one-man band aspect of documentary mm-hmm. yeah so it's it's a way to tell stories that is just a little bit more accessible sometimes so yeah then when I got to grad school it was a lot of like I just would come up with a story and then decide whether or not it needed to be whether or not it was a fact or a fiction story kind of thing and mm-hmm. this is uh, one of Klaus's a quote that of, of Klaus's that I love to tell people is he asked us one time, like, why is this a movie? Like, why isn't it a rock opera? Why isn't it a stage play? Right. Why isn't it a potted plant? Like, there's a reason that we chose this medium for this story. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of, it's sort of the same thing. If you've got a really good true story, can you make it a documentary? Does it need to be fiction? That kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I, I see that sometimes even just reading scripts. I'm like, yeah, you know, I don't know, like this feels like it would be a great novel, you know? Yeah. And right now, I think the, the big thing when developing an idea is, is it TV or film, mm-hmm. you know? And some of that, I think, is, is dictated by the market now, obviously. Right. Craig, maybe you do just with, like, your line of work. You've done a lot of nonfiction stuff. I've done none. Mm-hmm. 
Like that, it just doesn't really creep into my head a lot, and I, I kind of wish it would because I, I love documentaries so much. Yeah. But I wouldn't have a clue to how to get one off the ground, which was probably a good segue to let's talk a little bit about Good Game mm-hmm. and the documentary that you made that you, that you sent us. I completely knew nothing of the professional video gamer world whatsoever. I mean, and, and like I think your your film is it fair to say kind of focuses on one specific team right it's, group it's of, of, one of players, team that right? plays one esport yes because we have had some people that are like you know why don't you talk about league of legends or whatever and i'm like listen if we were here talking about every esport we'd be here until the dawn of time oh my yeah. god like, no and I, I i that's the thing like yeah this is kind of focusing on people that play the game starcraft 2 i believe yeah. right I kind of like really appreciated that it was limited and that we weren't like going back to these people's houses and like seeing their entire lives, but like really kind of immersing us into that world. And I am kind of curious, like what was your background with that and how did you kind of decide upon, you know, like what you're saying, like this is the subject I want to tell and this is the medium that I'm going to do it in. That one really came from being a fan. Play video games myself and Blizzard Entertainment, which is the the people that make StarCraft and StarCraft II. um, They're basically my favorite video game company. And so I sort of got into esports because I liked StarCraft. And then I started paying attention to esports and like some of the characters started to be interesting to me. Um, Specifically, Uh uh, Idra, Greg Fields, um, who ends up being a main character in the film. I thought he was just fascinating. And then they happened to be bringing um, one of the tournaments, MLG, Major League Gaming, was coming to D.C. when I was, I think, about to start my senior year of, or not really senior year, but my last year of my MFA. And uh, it was going to be Idris' first tournament back in the U.S. after he had been in Korea for two or three years. So it was like, of course I'm going to that. It's like, you know, right in my backyard. Yeah, yeah. And so I went, and it was just kind of like sitting there, people watching and looking around and seeing what, like, the mood of the room was like and how everything felt. And I was just like, there's a story here. Like, there's absolutely something here that people need to know and that and that needs to be done. I thought, who else is going to do it? Turns out six other six other people. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the documentary filmmakers were thick on the ground in 2011. Okay. So yeah. it was kind of hilarious. And kind of not if you were one of them. But anyway. Can I ask a dumb question? Yeah. StarCraft 2. They're, mm-hmm. they're exclusively playing StarCraft 2. Do some folks just play uh, StarCraft? Yeah. So StarCraft, when they refer to it, they call it Brood War. Specifically okay. because they're playing the expansion. This is the thing that, that I think is sort of a, a learning curve for people who are maybe sports fans to get mm-hmm. into esports. Right. Because you don't really have a sequel to football. Right. But it's considered a completely different sport. Like that's... Yeah, the way you're playing a different game, it's a different sport, yeah. It is a very different game. They're the same genre. Mm-hmm. You know, they're both uh, real-time strategy games, um, but they are extraordinarily different. Um, they just sort of take place in the same world and have the same theme, but the actual mechanics of the gameplay are extremely different. Now, a lot of the guys that became StarCraft II pros were originally Brood War pros. Mm-hmm. Greg was a Brood War pro, mm-hmm. um, and... I'm trying to think of who else on the team. I think almost all of them uh, when we were filming. Now, the guys that are still playing now, the pro, because everybody, this is the fun part. Everybody that we filmed has retired since then. No kidding. Yeah, okay. like at the ripe old and like, age. Uh, these of, people are like, yeah, 26, right? Right. Yeah, like at the ripe old yeah. age of 25, they retire. Oh, my God. <laughs> there was one day when I was on set and I was just like asking them, like, the, it was the first day that we were filming. I was asking them basic questions. And somebody said, like, you know, I'm the old man on the team. I'm 23. 
I thought it was kind of fascinating and, and I felt like um, as a filmmaker your your ears must have just completely perked up when the guy was talking about how like with Starcraft they were noticing that the amount of time people spent watching others mm-hmm. play versus playing themselves like that ratio had shifted in a way that people were watching more than they were actually playing mm-hmm. and you know, I, I just was thinking well, this is exactly what you want to hear if you're making a movie about this because this is like, yeah, you've got a built-in huge audience right here. Sure. I mean, that's what's so fascinating about that industry too. I mean, even if you're looking at something like, I think what like the last Grand Theft Auto did more business on the first day of sales than like most movies do in an entire year, mm-hmm. you know, even like the big temple thing. I mean, it's it's a huge, huge audience, obviously, and they've built this, this league around it. So I kind of understand why there were other filmmakers trying to do this thing. But I think, you know, obviously, like, to me, the fact that you're a fan makes a huge difference. And I think you can feel that in the filmmaking. And, like, you know, it is that sort of, like, watching the Trekkies documentary or King of Kong. Like, you get mm-hmm. that there's a bit of a love letter here and, and that kind of interest level. Like, for me, you knew nothing about this game and this world really at all. It was still easy to kind of click into and get excited about watching these guys and the girl that was Miss Oregon. I mean, that's like a great personality to have in this, in this world and really unexpected, I think. Yeah. In a lot of ways. It, that was just such a, a weird, like I remember posting on Facebook, like my life is so weird because I ended up going to the Miss USA pageant. Yeah, right. <laughs> I was like, who would have thought that like, you know, I'm just sitting here like, Oh, I'm going to make a documentary about gamers and then I'm going to end up at, gonna... at Miss USA in Vegas. Like, okay, yeah, I'll take it. That's amazing. When did you complete the film? Uh, we finished the shooting in early 2012. Not mm-hmm. long after, we went. We did two weeks in Korea wow. to finish that up to film Greg when he went back for a little while. Right. And then, so we finished filming 2012. And then, I want to say it took at least a full year for post, uh, maybe two. It's one of those things where, like, once you get older, you're like, well, that just happened. And then you realize it was, like, five years ago. Oh, uh, totally. Yeah. But, yeah, so I want to say I'll say that it, it came out in 2014 is when it was, like, officially released. Got you. And where can people go watch this? It is available pretty much anywhere that you can stream things except for Netflix. We're not on Netflix. But, so if you go to 9hourfilms.com, you can find a place where you can get a link to it. And it will probably still be on sale on Steam. So anybody mm-hmm. that's listening that does video games, uh, if you watch any movies through Steam, we are available there. And it is always very competitively priced on Steam. So that's where I suggest people go to get it. Catching Up is on there too. So you can get oh, both nice. of them. Okay. So. so that's really interesting. So how, just curious, I mean, how? I, I assume that it must do pretty well on Steam. I, I didn't even know that you could actually rent movies on Steam. So I, that shows you how much I know. But what a great place to do that. We got our distribution through a company called Devolver Digital. And Devolver mm-hmm. originally started as an indie game developer. Or not a mm-hmm. developer, but a distributor. And they, because they also loved films, branched off into having a film division. So they had a lot of connections with video game companies and, and with Steam. So the first movies to come out on Steam were Devolver films. So we were part of that first batch. Um, And it's expanded since then. You know, I think it does pretty well. I haven't looked at the numbers lately. Mm -hmm. I think the Steam sales definitely help us because Devolver's very good about, like I said, that's where you're going to find the best deals on the movie. And as far as catching up goes, like when did you make that in relation to the documentary? It looks like it was probably made prior to that, right? Yeah. So catching up was actually my thesis film for my MFA. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but the interesting thing with that, I filmed it. I actually want to say I filmed it like a week or two after the MLG where I decided to make Good Game. Oh, wow. Okay. It was like right around that same time. So that's why like Good Game, I had the idea for it, but I didn't get to start filming for six months because I was making Catching Up. Mm-hmm. And the the trick with Catching Up was I finished it enough to graduate, but you guys would understand the sound mix was bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We basically did like a really quick, dirty sound mix just to get me through the sort of thesis defense aspect, like the critique that I had I to know. go to. Things happened, and I did not get a new sound mix done um, until two years ago. So, oh wow! So oh, it yeah. didn't get released. It didn't really get out there into the world for quite a while after I finished it, which you know was annoying. But I'm sure you guys have worked on projects like that too. So sure. No, I mean I thought it was interesting to watch the two in relation to one another in the sense that uh, <laughs> there's very little that they share in common. I think you know catching <laughs> yeah. up is you know it's kind of a really small sort of southern drama that I, I think is told a little bit non-linearly and. I don't know. I mean, is this just a reflection of the like the expanse of your taste? Obviously, as someone who grew up watching ET and Star Wars, you know that you know maybe there's a little connection you could draw to say something like video games and StarCraft in, in particular. But like yeah, catching up, like where where did that kind of come from? And is that is that like a side or a genre that you're interested in exploring more in, in fiction or in nonfiction? Yeah, it definitely is. It, catching up was kind of a surprise to me um, because I was taking a class that was about like depictions of the criminal justice system. Uh-huh. It was actually in the sociology department, I think, but and not in the film department. It was like one of my um, electives. And the final project was like just make some sort of creative work of fiction about what we learned in class. And so I decided to write a screenplay and when I went to write this screenplay, like because of this class, I had actually been calling my dad pretty frequently to be like, hey, we talked about this in class today because my dad was a police officer. So okay. it was just a whole lot of like this reminiscing about like, you know, visiting him at work when I was a kid and like all of the stuff that he mm-hmm. would tell and, you know, the stories that he would tell me. So I wrote this short script just sort of really quick, like dashed it off in like a like, couple days to for the class final and then kind of put it in a drawer and forgot that it existed until I guess it was six months later, I was just standing around talking with a couple other people, including um, the professor who became my thesis advisor. And we were, I don't even remember what we were talking about. And I said, I made a joke about like, you know, take your daughter to work, Damon, I visited the jail. And <laughs> my professor was like, like what in the, like, why haven't you written that script? Like that's, that's what that visual of like a six-year-old at the jail. And I'm like, I have written that script actually. I forgot all about it. Oh, yeah. So, so you know, I dusted it out of the drawer and uh, entered it into a competition where they did a live uh, live reading to get, like, audience critiques and stuff. And it just kind of snowballed from there. And I was like, I think this is my thesis. So we went back um, to my hometown, filmed it at home, pretty much in the places where the things happened. It was really nice to sort of have a moment to put my hometown on film mm-hmm. because, you know, I live up in northern Virginia now. And going into D.C. and everything. And I feel like it's a whole different world than, you know, Pulaski. So. Sure. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, and as for, like, you know, what I want to do, I don't know. I mean, that's definitely, like, <laughs> that's it. Well, it's, it's kind of funny because people will ask, like, do you want to make another video game movie? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to make whatever I can get the funding for. So. Yeah, yeah. But that is, 
like just small personal stories are a lot of what I'm drawn to when I'm trying to write fiction um, and when I'm trying mm-hmm. to work on things. And I think that the good game was probably a little bit more out of my wheelhouse than in it. You know, it was something I was really interested in, but it ended up being like not as much of a small personal story as I might have done otherwise. So until you become a professional gamer yourself, <laughs> yeah, I'm not that good. I'm, just like, <laughs> I'm terrible. <laughs> God, I can't imagine. It looks so difficult. I would be terrible yeah, at that. I'm, have no hope. Well, that is all pretty awesome, fascinating stuff. And I think, you know, um, we'll definitely keep an eye on what you've got coming out of the pipeline next. But maybe we should uh, switch gears and, and switch continents a little bit and talk <laughs> about the movie you suggested. Let's do it. Today, we are talking about a movie that Mary suggested that neither Craig or I had heard of. And, you know, I suspect a lot of other people won't as well unless you're really, really tapped into the Korea new wave cinema. And that movie is Attack the Gas Station. This is from 1999. It is a crime comedy film directed by Kim Sang Jin and written by Park Jong-woo. Uh, thank you. And, <laughs> no that was pretty good, um, actually. Yeah. yeah, right, right. That wasn't yeah. too bad, right? I've done, I've done worse. I can promise you that. This is a movie about four hoodlums, if you will, if you want to talk like an old man, mm-hmm. and I want to, who basically descend upon a gas station and rob it, and then go back and rob it again later that night, only to find out that the owner is, is saying that he gave the money, all the money that they had at the gas station to his wife, and given the fact that they had just been robbed recently so that it wouldn't be on hand, and these four hoodlums basically decide to... Um, Take hostage, I think, by definition, although it's a pretty loose definition, Mm -hmm. maybe, in this movie. Um, The people that work there, and then there's various parties that come and go throughout the film at the gas station. And true to its title, it kind of stays there, and they beat up this gas station and and a lot of people that are there. (laughs) It's an interesting film. I think it's definitely one of a certain era. Yeah, Mm -hmm. But um, would love to know, Mary, where you saw this film first and how you heard about this. So this is another of those back-in-my-day kind of stories. Way back in the 90s when this was made, you didn't have your Crunchyroll and your YouTube and all of that to Mm -hmm. get these kind of things. So you would go to anime conventions, and anime conventions would have five and six video rooms with just, like, all these different tracks of, like, different odd things that were hard to get or that they thought people would want. And they usually would have a live action track of just movies, Japanese, Korean, and uh, Hong Kong cinema movies uh, that they just thought that people would be interested in. The people that I usually went to cons with had this thing where they would just go through the list and pick the weirdest sounding thing and be like, that's the movie we're going to go see this weekend. Uh, So they picked Attack the Gas Station. I did not go with them. But they then spent, like, three years talking about it. <laughs> when Netflix started their DVD rental, back before, Netflix wasn't even streaming. Netflix randomly had it. And I was like, this is the weird, like, I don't even know why they have attacked the gas station, but I'm going to rent it. And I rented it, and I was like, this is amazing. Uh, this is everything they said it was going to be. So yeah. um, immediately turned around and bought it on DVD, which is lucky because now apparently it's really hard to find. So Well, we should say... It may be hard to find in a decent uh, version. There is a version streaming on YouTube. In fact, Craig and I found two versions, one of which was taken down in a matter, in the span of like six days that we were shooting the link back and forth. But I did find another one 
and quality of that stream on YouTube is obviously not great. I'd say if you can find it elsewhere, specifically on DVD, you're probably doing yourself a favor. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just somebody needs to license this. Like, why is this not streaming? It's yeah. sure. I know. Like, it's I hate that. I mean, like, especially when we're talking about Netflix, like they got all this stuff on DVD. Like, why can they not get it yeah. on the site? Anyway, Craig. You knew nothing about this movie. No. What did you think? I mean, did you have any clue what you might be getting into? No, no, no clue at all. Yeah. <laughs> the, the title didn't tip you off? Yeah, I, I, I just assumed that was a, <laughs> a, a pun of some kind and it would be... No, um, I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's easily within the first couple minutes I knew like what I was in for and that, that, you know, that certainly tends to be a, a style that I'm pretty entertained by. So yeah, I mean that, that was a a pretty exciting find. It really goes all over the map, and then and then the, the, and also just just like I all the sociological aspects of it completely went over my head until I was reading about it later. Me as and well. I was like, wow, okay, so <laughs> this, this is a uh, this is there's a lot more to this than just what I just saw. Uh, what about you, Sean? Kind of the same way. Like yeah, I, I think there's there's some stuff that's tacking and tackling. I don't know what word I'm trying to say that <laughs> tapping I think that's the word tapping into I think what was happening economically in Korea at the time <laughs> obviously there's some stuff about authority and power and, and some of those like social hierarchies that we see I think primarily through these like neat little flashbacks for each of the four I don't like I don't I think these characters have names Mad Dog in particular I remember yeah. the yeah. rest of them are a little lost on me but I, I don't think that's hugely no. important to me, it felt like if somehow like Kevin Smith and Tarantino had a baby in nineteen, <laughs> like you know, in like nineteen ninety seven, sure. like they th- this could have happened. Like this could have been a weird, like instead of Clerks being what it was, and instead of Reservoir Dogs being what it is, like if somehow they had joined forces <laughs> and made a movie, yeah. it, it could have been this. It's got that sort of anti-establishment attitude that I think was somewhat prevalent in like that, that nineties in an indie American wave, right? The camera's upside down and here come these four guys and it slowly turns right side up and there they are looking just like badasses. You've got the, uh, the title card. That's why did they attack the gas station? And then they're just eating noodles. And one of them's like, what are we going to do? Let's go rob the gas station again. And then it's the title card just because, and like, I kept waiting for maybe more of that, you know, those sort of like little clever little techniques and things like that, you know, train spotting comes to mind, like some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. There's not a ton of that throughout the rest of it, I don't think. No. And I will say, like, you know, if I if I have a criticism of this thing, you go through it and it's a really fun experience. But I still like it is a weird thing to be watching a movie about guys who are doing something pretty terrible. And... You're kind of supposed to root for them, and you don't really know why they're doing this other than the sort of – it's not even trauma, just the, you know, the struggles and the, and the anger that they felt from some of these previous things that happened in their lives that we see courtesy of flashback. But there's, there really is no rhyme or reason why it's this gas station, I don't think. Right. There's not like if this was America – they got to have the money because one of them needs an operation or something. <laughs> right. You know, that you'd have yeah. that hokey, like, conceit, yeah. right? You don't have that here. Like, the, I, I mean, unless I missed it, like, there's nothing to – I mean, this probably bears more in common with Clockwork Orange, which I think 
there's even the homage to with some of the, uh, the music there. I think yeah. during one of the brawls was was Beethoven, if I'm not mistaken. As far as like the motivation is concerned, I mean these really are kind of terrifying guys in a lot of ways, and yet they remain somewhat likable. I think. I mean, what what do you guys think of yeah. that? I mean, Mary, do you you find them likable? I mean, I'm assuming. You've so you've seen this a couple times now. Yeah, um, I actually wrote a paper about it in grad school. Nice. <laughs> like watching it now, a couple years later, does it does it feel any different to you or no? Like no, I mean, I'd say that the only thing that has changed is like maybe uh, there's a little bit of the gender issues that I picked up on a little bit more this time sure. around yeah. uh, than maybe others. There's there's some places that where I wrote like this just got dark. <laughs> so mm-hmm. they, they shove a woman in the trunk of a car because mm-hmm. she doesn't want to pay for the gas. So, right. and it just like, and it's played the, for laughs. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, they, they start yelling yep. this stuff at her and I'm just like, Whoa, that just, and, and the thing is they kind of play off the trunk a little bit later. Like the police show up and they're looking at the car and you're like, you know, what's going to happen. But otherwise, like they never explain what happened to those people in the trunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. But yeah. So there's a, there's a couple places where that was a little bit darker than I remembered, but I definitely like it's, it is odd, and I think that maybe a little bit of it comes from the fact that these guys, like, they have sort of, like, the honor among thieves idea. They have uh-huh. some morals. They're just not the morals that you would expect, maybe. Like, you know, sure. the gas station yeah. owner is like, what the, you know, he has no, he doesn't understand anything about what's going on. But when you've got, like, the... <laughs> I love yeah, that guy. You've got, like, the, 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 the gang from school that comes to, to steal the money from the one kid that works at the gas station, and they're just like... Uh-huh. This is crap. Like, I mean, they, this kid's their hostage. They've been beating him up, mm-hmm. and then like somebody else comes to beat him up, and they're like, "What? We don't like we don't like bullies." So they just like beat the crap out of this gang in a car wash. Yeah. <laughs> and so like it's it's just little things like that where you're just like they have a little bit of a of honor and a code to them, and they and they do give them all these really weird, stupid scenes. I think that make you realize that they're just not that not that smart. Maybe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got the one guy, the singer. I think the name they give him is Rockstar. But he nice. pries open a vending machine to get coins to pay for his drink in the other vending machine. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and that's... There seemed to be a good bit of just because throughout. Mm-hmm. And sure. Yeah, sometimes it was just because this is funny. You know, one of the things at some point that I couldn't... Well, actually, I got past it. Something that kind of stopped me around the middle, and then I was like, okay, I'm just going to go with this, is when uh, I think a, a few of the guys decide that they're, they're all going to get together and rush the guy with the bat. Mad Dog, I guess. Or mm-hmm. Cool Dog, mm-hmm. Mad Dog. Anyway. His jacket says dog. Cool Dog, but they call him Mad Dog. They call him Mad Dog. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even notice the jacket said Cool yeah, Dog. Right, yeah. But so these guys say they're going to rush him, and then he, he gives this monologue about he focuses on one person that he beats up. Okay, that's, my, that's probably yeah. my favorite scene. Yeah. I, but I, like, I still couldn't help thinking, yeah, but there's like 10 people in this room right now. Like, even if yeah. he tries to beat one person yeah. up, they're going to overtake him. He doesn't have a gun. You know, and, but, but then it was just like, no, 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 no. We're just going to continue going <laughs> with this. Like, that was one of those yeah. things that kind of like was seeping under there. And I didn't, I didn't want it to ruin my fun. So, so I just kind of kicked it out of the room yeah there's there's quite yeah. a bit of logic that doesn't quite add up um i mean like there are a few things that happen that i can kind of buy in the whole like it, i wouldn't want to call it stockholm syndrome because i don't think it goes that far but you know right the yeah. the teenage kids sort of starting to identify with the 
the gang, the robbers, mm-hmm. can't because the gang mm-hmm. is somebody else. Like that's the other problem with this movie is that there's just a lot there. Yeah, yeah. Like you can you can kind of get little bits and pieces there, but there's a whole lot where you're just like, this is all it takes is one person not to act stupidly, and this whole thing falls apart. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> but, that's true. That's true. I, I do like kind of how they handled the police aspect because like every now and then I'm like man it is crazy that nobody's called the cops during this you know even just like somebody like passing by but you know they do the thing where the guy the leader of the of the the main guys that that do attack the gas station just breaks all the phones in the gas station and then makes the boss fix them over the course of the (laughs) the movie and then keeps breaking them and keeps you know telling him to fix them which I liked. And also, man, thank God this, this movie happened before cell phones because that could – I mean, yeah. you know, there's a few in the movie, but, like, the, you know, they're not, like, texting 911, right. which you could do now, and which would have killed so much of this. There's a lot of, I don't know, like, spiritual brethren to Dog Day Afternoon a little bit as well. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, that's one of my absolute favorite movies. So it is kind of fun to watch people in this situation – and sort of the contained aspect of, of the movie and, and any movie that kind of attempts that, I think is always kind of intriguing. And then seeing like what you're talking about, like the power dynamic change a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the kid that, you know, was having to give money to these bullies. You know, it's that classic, like, almost like an 80s trope where he has to fight the guy and like he gets one punch in and basically like, you know, decks him and, and suddenly he's like, wait a second, I can fight. <laughs> like, yeah, but then he also pushes power. it too far. He goes way yeah. too far. Like, that stuff's hilarious to me. And like, and then I liked that, too, because then it's like, yeah, it put that, like, the initial thugs, like, suddenly they're in, like, a weird parental yeah. role, which was kind of funny. I was like, okay, no, 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 slow down. Like, don't do this. There's another coworker that says that he's got to get home because his mother's sick. And they let him go home, you know. There's that, that girl, the poor little girl that works there. Yeah, that was a kind of interesting thing, too. And, like, I, I when you're talking about, like, gen- gender issues, like, that kind of popped into my mind. There was that moment where they take hostage the one, the, like, awful woman that pulls up and is just rude to them the whole time. And, and he ends up sort of doing, like, this, like, weird, like, it's not strip poker, but he's basically, yeah, like, Yeah, it's like a word game word. where I yeah. think what it's supposed to be is you have to come up with a word that starts with the same character as the previous word ended with. Not it doesn't ended, translate. Yeah. I don't think is part of the problem. Yeah. Right. And it was like, there was something prior to that where he's treating this woman differently. Mm-hmm. And then, then the other girl is like, why did why don't I get to do that? And he's like, because you're not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, like, oh, that's that's so yeah. But I liked, I mean, I loved, you know, talking about like different gangs. Like there's a moment in the film where, uh, I don't know, it's, it was maybe not even halfway in where, you know, there's a lot of things that kind of happen on a whim where the guys that are holding this gas station hostage decide, mm, no, I want somebody to sing yeah. for me, you know. And then the one guy is like, I want to order Chinese food. We're going to order all the Chinese food, you know. And so then that delivery boy comes and like <laughs> he's just so pissed off about having to come over That's there and all the, the amount of food that they Yeah, like ordered. how dare you tell and me to do like, my job. Yeah, and he's like, you know, I have a temper. There was a great cut like where I, I, I don't know if that was the f- – maybe the second time he had to come back to them and he yelled at them and then it just cuts to him and he's in a phone booth calling someone's like yeah i just got beat up (laughs) (laughs) and then of course in our third act here comes the gang of delivery boys ready to take over you know at the exact same time that the larger gang that the bullies belong to and you know and you get that kind of ultimate showdown which i i felt like that was inevitable 
yeah. you know, that all these, you know, uh, different parties were going to somehow descend upon this uh, gas station. And uh, I think it kind of delivered on that front. I'm kind of curious, like, like who is the standout character or somebody that you're, I don't know, that you felt like you were rooting for maybe more than anybody else in this thing? Because it's such a weird conception to this movie compared to, say, like, yeah, a Hollywood thing. Well, um, the leader's name, by the way, is Nomark. I don't think they ever say it in the movie. I think you have to get it out of the credits. Like, if I, when I'm watching it, Mad Dog's my favorite because he's ridiculous, probably. And because the whole, like, stand on your head thing. Yeah. And that's actually, that's still a joke that we have in our group of friends. We'll just, like, if we're sitting around bored, we'll just be like, you, you, fight. Stand on your (laughs) head. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. Like, he just, because he just, and then someone else comes in and they're like, what are you doing? He's like, well, I was bored and I thought maybe a fight would be fun. And the other guy's like, yeah, a fight would be cool. But yeah, I think No Mark is probably the one that's probably meant to sort of tug at your heartstrings the most because he has maybe yeah. the most tragic of the backstories. And he's the one that sort of shows the, well, I mean, he is sort of sometimes the most violent, but I think he shows the most sympathy maybe because of the whole thing where he's like, okay, well, we're going to go, we're going to let you go give your mom her medicine. And the one guy's like, you know, he's lying. Obviously he just wants to get out of here. And he's, you know, why would you believe in him? It's like, cause his mom is sick. Yeah. So I think he's the one that's given the most like positive characteristics. And then you got paint who actually, I just found out today. The actor went on to be an old boy. Oh, paint uh he's like you know he wanted to be a painter and his dad wanted him to study and that's his backstory and he's just silly um they don't Mm. really give him a ton to do i think if you're gonna sympathize with one of the gang the robbers it's probably gonna be no mark but i think most people will probably love mad dog the most yeah and they i mean the gas station owner's also just hilarious but i was say like i kind of liked him in some ways the most (laughs) it just felt so bad for this guy I mean, A, the station's getting robbed twice. And, you know, there's a nice little reveal there that he hasn't been telling the truth about the mm-hmm. money at the very end. Loved the scene where he makes a break for it and is running down the street and the guy just easily catches <laughs> yeah. up to him on yeah. the scooter and he's just completely out of breath. I mean, I thought that was great. <laughs> you know, and in some ways, he has all the, like, all the stakes are, are mm-hmm. his. You well, know, and they um, use... You know, he's got the... Um, I was going to say, they use him for a lot of the, the social commentary of the movie really comes from right. the owner. So you have mm-hmm. the things like when he has to actually face up some responsibility because Mad Dog is telling him, I don't know, to stand on his head for everybody. And he's like, well, I'm not the boss anymore. I resign. Like, you guys are in charge. Uh-huh. And then, you know, the kids are like, he's saying he's still the boss, even though he resigned. And he's got these lines about, like, you know, your parents would be ashamed of you, which is something that comes up a yeah. lot. Like, you'll give your parents a bad name. Oh, and those uh, those slogans that were on yeah. the wall that paint kept, like, the it was almost like Make Korea Great Again. I mean, it was literally, like, that close to being. Yeah, I actually yeah. wrote them down. It was like, <laughs> let's build a better Korea together is one of yes, them. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it was apparently, and you guys probably read this, that it was done when they were going through a huge economic crisis, probably not dissimilar mm-hmm. to what happened in America around 2007 with the housing bubble. Mm-hmm. Right. So there was a whole lot of layoffs and like the car plants were closing and things like that. So those slogans were really sort of that old school propaganda, of like keep your chin up stuff and like just keep working. And this was the kids rebelling against that idea and saying that like, you know, what has that gotten us? I mean, that's interesting. I think that that's one of the things about the movie. Like, Craig, you mentioned it earlier where, like, you didn't get most of that stuff out of it, but it was still an enjoyable film. Like, it's it's a really good movie when you just watch it because it's just hilarious. But then when you actually learn about the historical context of it and then watch it again, 
you start to pick up all of those things and it just makes it better. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost got like an anarchy streak to it in a mm-hmm. weird way. I mean, because if you're prone to spoilers, pause it now. But obviously, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, we don't care. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've got the big brawl. The police do show mm-hmm. up. In force. Like, it's not even just the two guys. Like, it's... No. And it's, uh, you know, kind of hilarious that they all sort of end up fighting each other instead of just the main guys that caused all of this problem, you know. And, and like you're saying, Craig, like, this is... There is no better opportunity for them to be completely overwhelmed and outnumbered. Yeah. Um, and they still manage. Nomark douses everybody with gasoline and lights the lighter and is threatening to, to blow them all up. Damn if they don't get away. Yeah. I mean, they get away with the money. They get away with the girl bringing the wallet back. And they drive off in a Porsche. <laughs> that is a middle finger to, like, established society of go get a job and everything will be okay yeah. and, you know, just you know, respect society and let's build a better Korea. I mean, this is like, no, fuck that. It, <laughs> we're coming in, we're going to attack this gas station, and we're going to drive away. Mm-hmm. And then, I mean, even further, during the credits, you get the, here are they now sequence. Right. Where <laughs> they have all gone off and gotten jobs. Mad Dog is like a security guard of all <laughs> yeah. things, you know, which makes total sense, which I think is another kind of interesting social commentary. It's like, okay, well, this is what happens is these guys do fall into those positions, I guess. And uh, God help us all, you know. <laughs> I don't know. Any takeaway from that ending, Craig? I mean, I, I did kind of like how as it went on, and, and maybe this was – Maybe this was more represented in the, the character paint than anybody else. Well, I guess I guess everybody kind of got it. But I mean, it, there, there was that thing of each one of these main uh, criminals as they're going through. They're they're kind of like reconnecting to what got them here, or, or you know, some kind of past trauma or something they'd rather be doing. And mm-hmm. you you kind of see them reconnecting to it as they go through the movie. So yeah, so while they do drive away with the money and you know kind of get away scot free, then they they actually all seem to, in one way or another, like go after what they're what they're good at or what they want to. Basically, you know, to to become productive members of society in one way or another, which is hilarious, sort of. Yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> and terrifying. I think in some weird way. Yeah, it's like on the one hand, it's a movie about these guys like just completely destroying this business. But then you've got this part at the beginning where they decide that they're going to work, you know, they can't get enough money by just robbing the gas station. So they're like, okay, well, we'll just work here. And they have to get the guy to actually, like, show them how to pump gas. (laughs) And they have this, like, onboarding training, how to actually work a job. It's like it's a job about these guys getting away with robbing a gas station, but it's also a job about these guys learning how to have a job. Or it's a a film about these guys learning how to have a job. (laughs) Do you guys think this would work as an American reboot. I, I think if we could go back to, say, 2000, yeah, you could maybe pull the trigger mm-hmm. on it. My question is, could you do it now set in the present? I don't think so. Partially because of cell phones and panic yeah. buttons and the fact that, like, I feel like there's a little bit of, well, there's a huge cultural divide with Americans and violence and everything. Sure. But, like, you know, they would have a button under the desk and bulletproof glass. And I think that it's just there's that. And the fact that it's going to be really hard to have a movie set in America like this where not everybody is running around with a gun because Uh half of those gang members would be armed if it was a movie in the U.S. There's no guns in in this movie aside from the police, are there? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy. What do you think, Craig? I guess sort sort of a counterpoint. I think everything you said is absolutely true. But I think that that kind of just presents the challenge of making it as an american film because because you're (laughs) right like there's no way well there's not no way but you'd have to do a pretty cool setup 
to mm-hmm. show that not a single person in this movie is going to have a gun. That's for sure. And then and then just just kind of figuring out how they manage to take the place hostage without word getting out and so on which you know if you keep with the spirit of this movie i think it's doable you know you, you crank everything up to 11 and yeah. you, you know it, it's just a matter of like figuring out those logistics but more than that i feel like i wouldn't i don't want anyone to remake this <laughs> Dude, <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. like this either needs to come out of somebody's head originally and and be this what it is or you know yeah i i feel like yeah anyone trying to trace over this for an american thing it would just it wouldn't be as fun like a spiritual twin kind of thing maybe yeah. where it right. is this it's the same kind of genre and you could even have like a gang of guys that just decide to do something for no reason really and everyone has a heartwarming lesson along the way you could do something like that but i think that really you've got to figure out how to make it work in the culture like this one just really mm-hmm. lives in the culture that it's in i don't know it's just such a it's such a unique piece of weirdness Mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I don't want it like I'm actually disappointed that it has a sequel yeah <laughs> I was gonna say have you seen it I have not partially because yeah. I'm terrified but yeah it looks pretty different I think the main guys are not in it but the right. gas station owner is correct I think so and yeah it's been like yeah like 10 years later yeah I don't know I and haven't I was gonna watch the trailer and I forgot to... I'm not sure that like the original writer or director comes back for it either gotcha. I'm not don't know off the top of my head but yeah, it's just, it, this feels like one of those just like really odd things that comes together in a very specific way. And when you try to rebottle it, I mean, it's kind of like a video that goes viral and then everybody tries to copy it. Yeah. And it's just like, you're never going to get that again. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I think you're both right if I'll be the tiebreaker here <laughs> <laughs> and say, like, I, I do think you would have a, a really difficult time doing a sort of like straight adaptation of it. But, uh, I, I think you're, you're right too, Craig, because I would love to see something that is inspired by this, like that has that kind of yeah. like darkly don't you know give a shit kind of vibe to it, and is like challenging on on a lot of these levels, but still has the humor to well, it. I exactly. think that gets lost. You know, it's like hell or high water from last sure. year. You know, you've got there's no shortage of dudes robbing places for various reasons that have a real sense of like regional setting and, and identity. But they miss that kind of this sort of like anarchistic humor that we've been talking about. Well, yeah. So, yeah, maybe somebody will just like see this and get really excited and do something similar. And I think one of the things that might be a challenge for an American remake would also be the level of violence. Mm-hmm. Because I was thinking, sure. I haven't seen it, but I was thinking about that Michael Bay movie, Pain and Gain. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I've seen it. And yeah. I've heard that it does get pretty violent, but it's supposed to be sort of funny and you're supposed to be rooting for the bad guys. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's one of the things, like if you watch the fight scenes and attack the gas station, they're ridiculous. They're completely, like, yeah, yeah they don't even look like real fights. Like no one's getting hurt. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't, I, there was probably yeah. no choreography yeah. whatsoever. They were probably just like, you know what, go away. Like even the people who are supposed to be good at fighting right. are just like, like throwing fists yeah, and missing of, by yeah. three feet. Yeah. <laughs> And and it's not even like a bad, you know, it's not like one of those movies where the, like, the other guy acts like he's gotten hit. Like, no, he just misses. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Which is funny. And, like, it's also more realistic. I will say, like, yeah, I got kind of clued into that. I remember when Mad Dog hit the gas station owner on the head with the big stick that he's got. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, he just cracked this guy's skull open. And then I was like, oh, no, no, he's okay. Like, he, yeah. you know, yeah. he's got like, like he's an ice pack in the next bit. scene or something. Yeah. And I was like, okay. It's, it's almost cartoon humor. Mm-hmm. Like, there's yeah. actually blood at some point, but yeah, it's almost just 
cartoon yeah, for violence. sure, for sure. Well, it was a very enjoyable film. I, I definitely appreciate you bringing it to our attention. I am kind of curious. Have you seen a bunch of Korean movies from this era? I was reading a little bit on Taste of Cinema. They had an article, and we'll put this up, just kind of mm-hmm. about the South Korean new wave that kind of kicked off. They tie it to this movie called Shiri in 1999, which I, I thought this was kind of interesting and just wanted to mention it here, was it said that like prior to this, you know, films that are made there, kind of only made up about 15% of their box office. Mm -hmm. And after that, by 2001, that number had jumped to 49%. I mean, that is an astronomical change. Yeah. And and obviously, like, old boy, you know, I mean, who doesn't love that movie? It's amazing. Yeah, Attack the Guest Station was actually the second highest grossing film in Korea. It's the year it was released. Yeah, Yeah. that's insane and and so cool. I love that. Like, it just makes me happy in a lot of ways. (laughs) I mean, I've seen, like, The Host, and, you know, some of these are familiar to me, but I I haven't really gone down the rabbit hole. I'm trying to think. I've seen some, like, the ones that sort of become a little bit more commonplace known in America, I haven't really, you know, done the deep dive, real digging. It's interesting to me that Korean drama, like, Korean television shows are actually getting kind of really popular in America right now. Yeah. So you can find those relatively easily, but Korean films, not as much. But yeah, I would have to go back and like really look at like a list and be like, oh yeah, I've seen that. Because it's just, you know, sort of things you pick up along the way. Mm-hmm. Well, I will uh, I will post this article and we drop our episode and they've got what they consider the 25 best mm-hmm. as of 2014 when this was written. So yeah, I, I think there's definitely... And Attack at the Gas Station is on there, of course. If you watched this movie and liked it, I, I think... That's probably a good place to start if you're interested to see more, and I definitely am. Agreed. Craig, any last words on Attack the Gas Station? Is this a recommend from you? I assume it probably is. I would say it's a recommend. I'd be surprised if someone would watch this and not have some fun. What about you? I I think absolutely. Definitely, definitely, definitely. If if you grew up and are a fan of kind of that wave of, of indie crime films from the 90s and, and some of that stuff, I think you'll find a lot to like in this movie, Attack the Gas Station. Yeah. Uh, hopefully you can find it somewhere other than YouTube. Yes. <laughs> Maybe this you podcast will, will cause someone to realize that they need to stream it. I, Criterion is listening. And yes. <laughs> and we know you are. I mean, Hulu. I don't care. Anybody. Yeah. Yeah, Hulu, somebody. Uh, Mary, thanks so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. And everybody go listen to her podcast. Check out her movies. We look forward to you suggesting more movies to us because you're two for two so far. All right, good. I'll I'll go back to my old film school syllabus from undergrad (laughs) and dig out some real weird stuff. That is great. As always, come find us at neverheardpodcast.com. That'll take you everywhere you need to know. And uh, until next time, uh, Craig, last words. Uh, Don't uh, drink the... Uh, don't have don't whatever you do don't drink i don't know i don't know let me think about that again maybe we just don't attack a gas station leave those gas stations alone the dvd does say don't try this at home on the cover so (laughs) okay there you go don't try this at home perfect last words all right everybody thanks 